This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 7, Episode 45. This is Writing Excuses, and today we are microcasting. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. If you haven't heard one of these episodes before, we simply take Q&A from audience. We asked for on Twitter, and we're going to our reader mail, and we're throwing out questions at the podcasters. We'll try to answer them in a short, pithy way. First question from Bill. Um, what percentage of the original words do you put down in rough draft? Um, what percentage of them make it to print? How much do you cut out? 95% make it into print. 95 of what you write. <laughs> from, so the you point, from the point at which I save the script the first mm -hmm. time, uh, I might go back and remove or change as much as 5% before I start drawing on it. Once I start drawing on it, yeah. man, it's locked in stone. It depends completely for me on the, the work. Okay. There are some things that I have written... And like Evil Robot Monkey, I wrote that in an hour and a half and did one or two passes of editing. Pretty much everything I wrote is on the page. I have another story that I've chucked probably a third of it. Okay. Dan? Yeah, I, I, same thing. Partials, probably 80 to 85% of that is uh, from the first draft. A lot of it was reordered. Um, but it's, it's all the same thing. Whereas Hollow City, maybe 50% of that, if, if that is the same as the first draft. That one changed drastically from the first draft. I did um, have a bonus story mm -hmm. where uh, I finished scripting, or I was three quarters of the way through scripting the bonus story, and I realized that uh, it was working per formula exactly the way it was supposed to work and it was not a schlock mercenary story and I didn't love it anymore and rewrote it and only saved about 20% of it. Okay. Um, I would say I'm actually in general throwing out more than, um, than that. I would guess 30%. Uh, one of the things listeners you have to understand is I'm, um, I'm an overwriter in first draft. Uh, I write very big, you know, thick <laughs> and I, I explain things too many ways. And so I cut 15%. Immediately. So that's 15% that's gone. Um, and then the tweaks and little changes are at least another 15%. Um, and then you add in the new chapters I'll add or the cutting off the beginning and adding new. I'd say 40% of what I write in the first draft ends up in the, um, in the final. Yeah, I do I do, do mm -hmm. the 10% uh, the pass yeah. usually just as a matter of form. Yeah. But I'm running a daily comic. There's no way I'm going to shave 10% just to you shave 10%. The other part of this question, though, is when you edit a draft, do you change words and sentences here and there to alter the content or rewrite whole chapters from the ground up? And I think our answer to this one to him is going to be the same. It depends on the chapter. Um, every book you will throw out a few chapters and rewrite from the ground up. And it up. depends on the editorial pass. Yeah. yeah. And, but you shouldn't generally be doing that with every chapter, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, though there are, I do have friends that they write a book once and say, okay, now I know where that book was going. And then they write it from beginning to end again. And yeah. that's generally how her process is. I, I would do a structure pass before I would do a grammar pass or a wordsmithing pass. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I don't want to fine tune the dialogue in this chapter until I know that the chapter gets to stay. <laughs> right. And I usually, I, I almost always will lose the first chapter, if not the first two or three you just chuck them out completely. Yeah. But uh, the the draft I just finished of uh, Fragments, the second partials book, 
that uh, not only the first chapter but also the prologue those are going to stay till the end i was really surprised yeah i think i think part of it with me in novel form is that i'm trained to write short stories and so i tend to write pretty tight to begin with and then have to go back and add all right next question um this person is david is asking oftentimes i've heard that short stories are a good way to start one's fiction career as they are submitted to journals, magazines, and the like. In what ways is writing short fiction different than writing novel-like fiction? Well, that's five podcasts right there. But the question he <laughs> asks next, um, are the principles of good writing the same, or are there pitfalls a novelist can fall into while writing short fictions? Fiction. And I think we can maybe touch on that one. If you are, only, if you are jumping from short fiction to novels or novels to short fiction, what are some pitfalls that novelists commonly make when they're writing the short fiction? And what are pitfalls that short fiction writers make when trying a novel? Well, I, for me, going from short fiction, I, I should say I started in novel, went to short fiction, stayed there for a while, and then came back. Um, and for me, the, the biggest difference is uh, in scale. And I see... Uh, with short fiction that I will often write too sparsely for what a novel reader wants to, to read. And when I've been writing novels for a bit and have to go back to short form, or when I see novelists who are trying short form and not succeeding, that generally they are trying to put too many characters and too much plot in. And that's generally my problem. Mm -hmm. um, when I do go to short fiction. I wasn't actually fiction. meaning to stare right. at you when I was answering that. <laughs> no, no, no. But this is why I, my, I'm, I'm okay at novellas and really bad at shorter things is because what excites me about writing is generally being able to look at things from a variety of viewpoints or having the scope of, you know, time passing or things like this. Um, one scene is very hard for me to do self-contained. Um, when it works, I think it's wonderful, but it is hard for me to do. Dan? Yeah. Um, I would add that in addition to uh, putting in too many characters and, and too much plot, having too many uh, settings, too many yes. locations, yeah. yes. is a big problem that I run into when I go from novels to short. Yeah, I think one of the one of the other things that he asked early on is whether or not that whether you needed to do this. He didn't say that, but I think it's good to point out to him that that you don't. Um, Jim Hines and we'll tr I'll try to find the link so we can put it in the liner notes. Did a first novel survey, right? Uh, in which he discovered that it's pretty much a toss up whether you start with short fiction or not. Right. Um, the thing that I think that short fiction offers um, is an opportunity to experiment with a lot of different styles and also to teach you to become comfortable with rejection. Yeah. Well, and I, I suggest write what you read. If you want to write some short fiction, go read some. Don't yes. just say, well, this is the way that people break in. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. um, so, all right. We have time. We'll do one more before our book of the week. Um, and the question is, um, if you're in the middle of writing a novel and realize that a major change needs to be made to the beginning of the novel, do you go back and fix it right away? Or do you have that, um, you save that sort of editing until after the first draft is done? And would you advise a novice, less disciplined writer to do the same? <laughs> Those are two very different questions. Yeah, you know what, there's, 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 two, there's two approaches yeah. to this. Uh, approach number one, uh, regardless of whether or not you plan to go back and make the change, I would write either on an index card or a page of notes the extent of the change that needs to be made. You know, this character needs to be motivated differently in the following ways and make a list to yourself. Once you've done that, it's probably safe to go ahead and, you know, forge ahead with the rest of the book because you know what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. But if you are now, if you have momentum and you are now just inspired to fix that first chapter, 
if momentum is important to you, preserve that momentum and rewrite that chapter. Yeah, I completely agree with Howard and would say that one of the things that I do actively um, is that when I have an, an idea like that, I use my square brackets and make that note where I am writing right yeah. then. Mm -hmm. Even if it has nothing to do with the chapter that I am in, I will go ahead and make that note so that I don't have to lose the momentum of the scene that right. I'm in and can also record the thing I'm enthusiastic about right then. See, my brother, I, I oh, am sorry. very different from both of you. If I am writing something and I get to a point where I know I have to go back and you know, foreshadow this better, or I have to do something better in the past to set up what I'm writing right now, I will stop and I'll go back and do it right then. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to a new writer, though. Yeah, I think you have to experiment with your style. Find out what helps you write better and consistently, and go with it. I will only go back and fix if it's a major issue that keeps popping up chapter after chapter. I don't know this character well enough, and it's yeah. impacting my, yeah. my chapters. Unless it's that level, unless yes. every chapter is getting worse because I haven't fixed this thing, I continue on. As an aside that's very, very related in my writer's group, we will often run into a, a situation similar to that where everybody in the group realizes, including the writer, oh my gosh, this thing that just happened wasn't properly foreshadowed, this character isn't right, that's going to need to be fixed earlier in the book. And the consensus, 100% of the time, is don't rewrite that chapter and show it to us. Yeah. We will just pretend that this is now justified, and you know we know that this isn't a surprise, we know that this was supposed to have been foreshadowed, keep writing, we'll keep reading. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Let's go to Book of the Week. Dan, you have yes. Book of the Week. Our Book of the Week this week is Hellhole by Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert. That is the team that uh, is doing all of the new Dune books. And Hellhole is uh, a similar thing, kind of sprawling space opera epic, but in an all-new universe, all-new setting that they've created. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I read it last month when I went to BEA. That was my plane book. And just devoured it. It has, you know, tons of different characters and this, you know, enormous plot that covering all these various different planets and uh, conspiracies going on between them and who's trying to get who to do what. And I really enjoyed it. So, Hellhole by Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert. And you, fair listener, have heard me say this a zillion times, but for some reason you haven't actually yet gone to <laughs> audiblepodcast.com slash excuse and started your free trial membership. Uh, so go out and do that. And uh, Hellhole by Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert is a great space opera to cut your audiobook teeth upon. All right. Next question comes from Patrick. I have a question concerning self-publishing. Can a self-published novel get picked up by a literary agent or publishing house in a similar way that an independent movie could get picked up by a major film distributor? Yes, it yes. can. Yeah. Yes. But you shouldn't count on it. No. Um, he, he does continue on to ask, you know, does a history of success help you um, with getting a contract? And it can. Um, our good friend Larry Correa, who's been on the podcast, you should go, Patrick, if you're listening to this, go find his episode and talk, um, have him 
you know, do a search for it. He was self-published, and he eventually got a, a book deal, primarily based on the fact that he, self-publishing he was doing very well. Yeah, he had the sold thing a to keep in mind, copies. the thing to keep in yeah. mind with Larry is that uh, the book deal he got was not for the thing he first began yeah. self-publishing. Um, the, the there's there there are lots of different approaches here. Um, the one that is the most bankable is. I have built a huge audience as a self-published author, and now I am writing a new book, and I am taking it to an agent, and I can show them, yes, I know how to write, yes, I have an audience, and would you shop this book around for me? Once upon a time, it was more, it was how, it was more difficult. Self-published, yeah. had the stigma um, and whatnot, and that is going away. Um, now the question you're probably going to ask yourself is, if you do attain a level of success self-publishing, do I want to then go to a New York publisher. And that's a completely different question. That's I'm a whole be, podcast yeah. worth a person, of questions. Yes. Well, and also yeah. person by person. Person yeah. by person. But the answer to your question is, if you have an established good reputation, you were selling a certain number of copies, um, I'm not sure what that number is um, anymore. It used to be 2,000 copies. If you could sell 2,000 copies on your own, they'd actually pay attention to New York. I think now with self-publishing and eBooks, you're gonna have to be doing more like 10,000 minimum a year um, for them to look at that book. Um, but it certainly will help you. It's, it's not, it doesn't have the stigma it once did. Yes, but recognize that the people who are selling 10,000 copies are outliers. That this yes. is not... Yep, and... And, and it's just yep. as difficult to go this route as yep. it is to go any other There are different problems, route. not fewer problems yes. in self-publishing. There are good reasons to do it, but there are certainly problems. Um, problems being difficulties in yes. getting it to work. Yeah. Challenges. Yes, challenges. Just, There's the word. Yeah, they just occur in different places. Um, Vera asks, how do you get over the fear of writing something unoriginal? I know nothing is perfectly original, but I don't want to come across as derivative. Um, one way to do that is actually to write something that is deliberately derivative. Um, to, to take a fairy tale and retell it and recognize that, in fact, there's a lot of things that you were bringing to the table. I, you know what, that's actually two different questions. The first okay. question is, how do I overcome uh, anxiety of influence? How do right. I yeah. prevent being, or how do I prevent myself from being afraid? And the second question is, how do I be original enough that it doesn't matter? And the first um, question, yeah. just write. Wait, I will say also, we did do several podcasts on this. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Vera, if you want to search for um, managing your influences, we did a podcast on how to take and be influenced intentionally. Mm -hmm. um, and we did uh, do a podcast on originality, if you want to go search for those. Yeah. And if you check this podcast on the site, we've already, we've made reference to several other casts we've done in the past. Uh, we'll make sure to link those uh, in the text of and the site. And by we, we mean you. That's typically my job. And so someone <laughs> is going to write down that note for me so that I can remember to do it. All right. Um, next question. Uh, you've probably been asked this a hundred times, but what the heck, here it goes. Have you ever thought about the possibility of offering your services to help people with plotting? For a fee, of course. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. He, he, <laughs> Michael, um, we're flattered. Here's yes. the thing. We do writing excuses partially as a way to give back to the community because people helped us starting out. It takes so much time and effort, and we are not professional editors, that doing this Number one, for a fee, we love writing. We don't li really love editing, and so editing someone else's work is even less fun for us in general. <laughs> you know, we, we've talked about it. editing is the least, part, um, least fun part of the, the process. And so you, number one, don't want to pay me what 
I would charge because I earn quite a bit writing books and I would charge you even more to, to work on your story. You like even Because less. I don't yes. like doing yeah. it. Um, yeah. Well, and the other, the other thing is that the, the problem with having someone else come up with your plot is that it is probably not something you're going to be particularly excited about. Well, it wasn't that. I, I will oh, give okay. Michael that. He does say something similar to what you did with Mary's outline, oh. meaning he takes, brings you an outline, and we he, he pays us mm -hmm. to give to, to do the. Oh, you know what? The informal. Yes. Here's here's what I am actually willing to willing to go on record as having offered. Um, if I'm at a convention, and and we are in a casual sort of setting, and yeah. there's you know we've sat down at a meal or whatever, um, and you've got a story that you think needs help. And you have listened to things like Dan's seven-point story structure, or where we've talked about three-act structure, or scene sequel, or something, and you have questions about how to improve this as part of a conversation at a convention. I'll do it for free. I can't yeah. promise that the convention or that the conversation will last for more than six and a half minutes, but because that's that's my attention span. Okay. Um, <laughs> Why are these podcasts fifteen minutes then? Because I'm only doing less than 25% oh, right. of the talking. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will agree with Howard. I, I'm more likely to do it for you for free at a convention than I am to, ha to have let you actually pay me. Actually, you know what occurs to me? Yes. Um, we, we actually are going to be doing this. Yes, we are. And I actually I, I was going to mention that, but I wasn't intentionally sure. Intentionally because of that. Are we going to go ahead and make an announcement? Well, I mean, we will probably, by the time this airs, have announced it months ago. Oh, nice. Well, so. in that case, let's go ahead and just say uh, we are doing, uh, we're planning the first of what we hope are many writing excuses retreats. Yep. Which will provide a lot of one-on-one -on -one time, we hope. Yeah, combination, combination can, uh, master class, <laughs> combination master class and uh, writing retreat and yes. Chattanooga, Tennessee humidity. Theoretically, yeah. we'll hopefully we get this all together. So eventually, we'll be doing things like this. Yes, and I, I have to say that I did not understand the question in the first place. Right? So. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think your answer is still correct. Paying us to be an editor is probably not you not know, a good use of your not money. a good use of your money or your time. However, coming and hanging out with us um, for a week and getting some advice, we can probably manage that. And so. and uh, why us? If you're going to go to a convention that we happen to be at, there are a zillion other people at that convention who are happy to talk to you about your story. Don't downset it. We want them to come to our... Yeah. To our oh, I know hour. that. I know that. I'm just saying that he's probably in a hurry and our thing's a year out. That's true. There is that. Yeah. All right. Um, we are out of time for this microcast session, though we will probably do another one in the near future. Uh, for now, your writing prompt, let's see... Um, Brandon is staring around the room so looking for some sort prompt, of visual cue. Your writing prompt is to write about a squid who is trying to write a space opera that does not involve squids in space. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This That's has been writing one of the excuses. biggest problems squids have. It is. Yeah, I know. It squids. is. Uh, They're a very ethnocentric species. <laughs> yes. Well, and the second problem is that when he decides to write about octopuses, it all ends up racist, and he's just not allowed to write about them. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right, we're going to end now. Goodbye. <laughs> if you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction.
They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 